The book of Proverbs uh, gives to us now a, a section in the scripture that really gives to us some very practical insight, some practical direction from the word of God. Certainly all of God's word is very applicable to our lives, but if there is indeed a practical section in the word of God, in the Old Testament particularly, no doubt it's the book of Proverbs. If I were to pick a New Testament spot, I would say probably the closest companion to the book of Proverbs in the New Testament would be the book of James, but the book of Proverbs really helps us and it stands out to be able to glean valuable, I might say common sense wisdom. It gives to us some really helpful insight how to navigate life best. And if we could say, having just come out of the book of Psalms, that the book of Psalms really is the Holy Spirit focusing much on living a worshipful life, in regards to our relationship with God. The book of Proverbs, it seems the Holy Spirit now focuses on living a wise life. Living a wise life in regards to operating in wisdom as we walk through earth. And important to understand, there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, of course, is the acquisition of facts or information. We might say being educated or learned. Uh, in a sense of a factual basis, where wisdom or being wise refers to living well. Uh, wisdom or being wise refers to skillful living in everyday matters, in everyday relationships, in everyday decisions. It's acquiring knowledge, but then also knowing when and how to utilize that knowledge in our decisions, in our actions, how to put knowledge and to put learning into proper practice, to live in a skillful way. We might say managing one's affairs thoughtfully and carefully, using things like good stewardship, proper management in how we make decisions, using, as I said, common sense judgment. This is what wisdom is about. This is what being wise is about, and this is, to a great degree, the theme of the book of Proverbs. And in this book, God imparts supernatural wisdom that we might know how to live well, how to live safely, how to live securely, how to live in a stable way, how to live in a successful way by receiving supernatural wisdom from an all-wise God. And we do need to realize that is where wisdom truly comes from. In fact, as he gets over into chapter 2, verse 6, he says specifically, for the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, gives wisdom. And from his mouth, notice his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. So to realize that the all-wise God is the one who gives to us wisdom how to live well on the earth is very important to realize where the true source of wisdom comes from, the one who created all things, who created our lives, who knows how life is intended to work best. It's from him that this wisdom, how to live well and live skillfully, comes from. And much of this wisdom from God we're going to see in the book of Proverbs comes through hundreds of these proverbs. Now, when we talk about a proverb, uh, you know, we, we use proverbs in everyday uh, you know, conversation outside of even, you know, biblical things, you know, we, many hands make light work, right? This is kind of like a, a typical everyday proverb. And there are, you know, many different things like that that we utilize, just kind of catchy, clever statements that impart some degree of wisdom. Well, proverbs, we might say, which we're going to see here in this book together, if we were to define what they are, and we'll see hundreds of them in this book here, proverbs might be defined in this way, short, thought-provoking statements of wisdom and advice designed to communicate a truth in a memorable way. Let me say that again, if you're a note taker, just by way of foundation here, Proverbs are short, thought-provoking statements of wisdom and advice designed to communicate truth in a memorable way. So they're these short, we might say pithy sayings of insight or guidance to give to us life principles, how to live well as we journey on earth. And it's important to understand that. 
that we don't take every proverb as an emphatic promise from God. And I think sometimes that's where we can get a little bit off target where we take a proverb and we try and always apply it as a promise of God, where sometimes it's a divine principle from God, but it's not necessarily per se a promise from God. But these are supernatural wisdom imparted to us in principles and thought-provoking statements to give us wise advice in a way that we would be able to remember them. And of course, God wants us to remember these lessons for life in these memorable phrases so that we can recall that guidance and that we can then live those things out. And so they're given in this way. And understand, in ancient literature, this was certainly an intentional way that writers at times would record things through these poetic books, because in a day where there were not printing presses and ease of access to books, uh, to to give wisdom in these short statements like this, these thought-provoking statements to communicate a truth in a memorable way, it was helpful then for the listener to be able to hear those things and to easily recall them when they didn't have a recorded record, many of them even as we do, of the book of Proverbs that we can go to and read and, and look over again and again. Now, regarding these hundreds of Proverbs we're going to see supplied in this book, many of these short thought-provoking statements that offer this wise advice, they actually don't really start coming forth or showing up in the book of Proverbs actually till the 10th chapter. We're going to notice it's not until that point when we get to the 10th chapter that then we start hearing these statements like this, you know, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. That's Proverbs 18.1. We're told as well in other sections, Proverbs 16.1, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man, Proverbs 16.2, are right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. And we'll see all these different literary devices. Sometimes he gives two contrasting thoughts. One part of the sentence speaks maybe about diligence, and then the second half of the sentence contrasts it with laziness. Other times we'll see kind of complementary statements where one statement is made, and then the same thought is re-expressed in a slightly different way to further expand the idea that's given. So we'll see these different literary devices that are used in these poetic statements. Again, remember, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, these are the poetic books of the Bible that we now find ourselves in here. But we're going to see the first nine chapters of Proverbs before those short statements of wisdom, these little nuggets are given to us, which could almost kind of be a sermon in and of themselves. The first nine chapters really just esteem the value of wisdom and the importance of wisdom, and the need for wisdom. It's almost as if God wants to really drive home in our hearts, let me speak for myself, how foolish I am. That God says, the first nine chapters, before I give you these really catchy, clever little proverbs and the nuggets that you like so much, Tony, the, the first nine chapters, interesting, the, the, if you would say the first third of the book because it's only 31 chapters long. The first third of the book, God says the first third before I give you the two-thirds of real nuggets of wisdom, I have to really convince you how valuable my wisdom is, how much you need wisdom, how important wisdom should be to you. Again, he's going to say in here, get wisdom because wisdom is the principal thing. That is, it's the, the highest priority. It is the most valuable thing. And he's also going to talk in these first nine chapters about the consequence of rejecting wisdom and thereby living foolishly in all the problems and difficulties we get into as human beings because many times we just tend to live in foolish ways outside of what might be best in skillful living and the way God's really designed for us to live best. Now, notice with me that the, the book opens up by telling us the Proverbs, notice, of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So the majority of the book of Proverbs we're going to see, the human author anyway, the Holy Spirit is directing behind what's spoken in all the books of the Bible as the divine author, but the human author that gives these wisdom from God is King Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel, and if you remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, when Solomon comes to the throne, it's almost as if it's his coronation gift 
from God, the king of kings, that God gives Solomon this coronation gift on the day that he's coronated as the king of Israel. And he says to Solomon, remember, he says, Solomon, ask, what shall I give you? Can you imagine if God were to ask us that? Whatever you want, tell me, what would you like me to give you? All the different things perhaps we might answer, especially we didn't read 1 Kings 3 and still Solomon's idea. And God said to Solomon, Solomon, you're now the king of Israel. You're the king over my people, my chosen people, Israel. Ask, what shall I give you? And it's an answer to that. The Bible tells us that Solomon answered this. 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 7, Solomon answers God, ask, what shall I give you? He says, now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. The idea is I'm a young inexperienced man. I don't know how to go out or to come in. The idea is like a shepherd would go out and come in leading the sheep. He says, and your servant is in the midst of your great people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant, here's his request, an understanding heart. The language literally is a hearing heart a heart that can understand what it is that you're trying to say to me. Give me an understanding heart. He asks for wisdom. He goes on to say that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So God said to him, because you have asked for this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself nor riches for yourself, nor ask the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself an understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor there shall be any like rise after you. So God promises to answer this request of Solomon to give him supernatural wisdom. God imparts to Solomon, not natural wisdom. And listen, we can acquire natural wisdom. I don't discount that. And typically that comes with one thing, age. It just comes with age, with experience, right? The longer we walk, the further we journey. And the book of Proverbs reinforces that very reality that with experience, sometimes good, sometimes bad, both in part, just a little more wisdom a little more understanding, a little bit better ability to, to navigate if we're willing to learn from those things. Because again, I know young people who are exceedingly wise for their age. And then I also know people as well who are more aged and they're still living like a fool. And Solomon is a living example of that, remember, because God gave him supernatural wisdom, but Solomon didn't always apply that wisdom. He didn't always live well. He didn't always live skillfully, even though God gave him a ton of wisdom within his head because wisdom is something that's to be applied, to be lived out. But God gave Solomon this supernatural wisdom, and it's important to understand that because we're told this in 1 Kings 4 before we jump into Proverbs, as it says the Proverbs of Solomon. Listen to chapter 4 of 1 Kings, verse 29 through 32. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom an exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east. That's where all the wise men supposedly came from, the eastern orient and all the wisdom of Egypt. He had more than all of them combined, the Bible says, because he had supernatural wisdom from the all-wise God. That's the best place to get wisdom from. And then it says this, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite. He mentions some of the wise men of the day. And his fame went through all the surrounding regions. Key phrase, listen, final verse, verse 32. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs. 3,000 proverbs. The Holy Spirit says that Solomon had such wisdom from God, he was able to compose 3,000 of these Proverbs. Now, in the book here, in the inspiration of Scripture, what we have in the book of Proverbs from Solomon, we get a few hundred of those 3,000 Proverbs. 
So not all of them made it into the word of God itself, but you want to talk about wisdom. We have recorded here not even one-third of the amount of all the Proverbs that Solomon was able to compose to speak forth and to put into writing, but still there is a lot of great supernatural wisdom to be gained from this book in front of us here. So here we get the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, and now notice verse 2 through 6. He tells us the purpose of this biblical book and the purpose of these Proverbs from God's heart. Notice verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. That is, these Proverbs cause us to be more instructed how to live wisely. They become teachers. If we're willing to be students of God's wisdom and to learn from God and let God put us through, if you would, his seminary, not per se for ministry, but a seminary just how to do everyday life and how to live life properly. He says, these proverbs are given that we might know what wisdom is in comparison to foolishness and to receive instruction. He says, verse two, to perceive the words of understanding. In other words, through perception, as we take in the words and the wisdom from the proverbs, they help us to have greater perception to perceive what it means to be understanding and how we deal with things. Verse 3, notice, to receive the instruction of wisdom. And then he says that will bring forth justice, that is the ability to render good decisions, right? That's what we want from our judicial system, those who sit in the places of judges as justices, that they would render justice. And justice, again, is you, you hear the facts, you listen to things, and then to just give justice is to give a good fair, proper decision. Again, the Bible is going to tell us in the book of Proverbs, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and a shame to him. So again, that's what a good judge will do. They, they, they listen to all things, they take in all the details, and then they make a proper decision. And so he says the Proverbs can cause us to exercise better justice in our decision-making, to render better judgment and we all have to make judgments about different things, small matters, everyday experiences, relationship situations, how to handle things when they arise, to make a proper judgment as we're dealing with people and interactions. And he says also to bring forth equity, that is fairness, that is not to show partiality, not to be impartial in any way, whether giving too much favor to someone in an out-of-balance way, thinking someone's too important and giving them special perks and in the same way, not looking down upon anyone, looking less upon someone in any way, but just in a broad sense, treating all people equally and fairly, no special uh, favoritism or partiality shown, just equity in the way we relate to everyone, not being impressed by anyone and not looking down upon anyone. Again, the only person we should be impressed by is God himself. All the rest of us are just human beings. No matter who we are, what we're doing, we're all equally the same before the almighty God. He says, verse 4, these Proverbs will also give prudence to the simple. And again, the word prudence is a term that speaks of basically taking caution or consideration by caring about what the future holds. So when someone uses prudence and they're a prudent person, they carefully and thoughtfully think about the future beyond just the present moment. And again, so whether it's in our actions, whether it's in our decisions, whether it's in what we say, to use prudence or to be a prudent person means I'm always thinking about five minutes beyond this moment or one day or one week or one month, or in other words, I'm, I'm always thinking ahead. I'm able to look beyond just the present moment of impulse, this present moment that I'm in, which means that if you're exercising prudence, you become someone who learns how to respond to things in life and not react to things in life. And that's the common human temptation. And that's usually where a lot of regrets and mistakes come from, right? We just react, and he's going to speak about this much in the book of Proverbs as well. And notice, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, and a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. So notice, the book of Proverbs isn't just for one group. The book of Proverbs, he says here, from God's perspective, it has something beneficial for everybody. 
He says he gives prudence to the simple. When, when the Bible here speaks of the simple, it's referring to the person who, in a sense, is, is ill-informed, or we might say the person who's simple in the sense of they're naive of moral knowledge or they're lacking education. They're, they're, we might say the person who's not smart, the simple person. Just the simple person, maybe they're lacking education, maybe they're lacking, you know, in a sense, smarts in comparison to other people, and we all have different giftings and benefits and blessings in that area. But he says here, look, someone who is just a, a, a simple individual, maybe they're not highly educated, maybe they're not too smart intellectually, but God says, but they can be wise. You don't have to be smart to be wise. You don't have to be educated to be wise. I mean, truth be told, many of us know very educated fools, right? Well, I almost said many of them are running our country, but that would have been nice. So, but we can delete that just in case. I mean, you can have incredibly intelligent people, but they live foolishly, and they wreck their lives, and they have you know bad family situations. Their personal lives are a mess because they have tons of education, and, and they're very intellectually bright. You can be incredibly smart but yet live in a very unskillful, foolish way in the way you make your decisions and how you handle your affairs and your personal life. And by the same token, you can have someone who's not as smart as many others around them. Maybe they're not even very educated at all, and they can be incredibly smart, have incredible common sense and street savvy. We used that term back in the day. That person has street... And they're, they're very wise. They know how to live skillful. They know how to interact with people. They know how to make good decisions. They can make good judgments. They know how to use prudence and think ahead before they act or they say things. And he says, the Proverbs can give prudence to the simple and to the young man, notice, to the young, and we'll see this repeatedly through the book of Proverbs, that one of the great benefits of this book is it really helps advance the wisdom of the younger person. To the young man, they can notice, receive knowledge and discretion. Discretion is the ability to look at a situation and figure out what's the better decision to cause least offense. Well, to use discretion and say, okay, if I act in that way, what's going to be the end result of that? And he says, to the young person, they can grow in their discretion to be able to make better decisions, more skillful choices in the way they live out, again, matters of everyday life how they handle their affairs, their finances, their personal life, their moral life, their relationships. So again, the young person can increase in knowledge how to live well and to increase in discretion through the Proverbs. And the wise man, the one who's already wise, can hear and keep increasing and learning, and a man of understanding will attain even more wise counsel. Again, notice, the, the person who already is wise doesn't know everything, and God says there's always more wisdom to be gleaned. There's always more understanding. That is the person who recognizes that by having a teachable spirit, there is always more to learn. And one of the things I think that characterizes when we truly are getting wiser is we realize we know a lot less than we thought we once did. And, you know, it seems that the longer I know myself, I feel the longer I study the Word of God, I come to a further conclusion. I don't really know the Word of God very well yet. Because you continue to go through the word of God and realize there are so many things that I don't know, so many things I haven't seen, understood, grasped. And again, this, just as you live life, it seems that the longer you live life, you go from that youthfulness of kind of the, I know everything, I don't need to hear, I just, I know what I'm doing. And just, and that's kind of the, a mark of youthfulness. And then the longer you live, the more you realize, you know, hey, can I get your input on something? You got some, I, I, and, and you start to realize the value of learning and having a teachable spirit. And benefiting, as he's going to say in the Proverbs, one of our wonderful Proverbs is going to tell us that there's safety found in the multitude of counselors. Hey, man, I, I, I want to play it safe here. <laughs> I don't want to do something dumb here. I don't want to make a mistake here. I don't want to end up harming myself or shipwrecking or causing more pain and suffering in my life. So humility and wisdom says, you know what, let, let me get some, some counsel from even more than one person, counselors. That'll keep me safe. And so then, as the Proverbs say in another section, with the well-advised is wisdom, right? We want to make well-advised, well-informed decisions. The Proverbs tell us to do that very thing. The Proverbs tell us, he who walks with the wise grows wise. 
That was one of my favorites when I was a young man. He who walks with the wise grows wise. When I read that, I thought to myself, all right, Lord, show me a few wise people in the church, my pastor, a couple, and, and I just, whether they wanted me to walk with them or not, I just walked around them because I figured I'll just hear things they say once in a while. I said, man, that was good. That was good. They weren't even talking to me, but boy, that was good. I'm, I'm, well, I'm going I'm to implement that where you just watch the way they live or how they walk and, how they, and you see the wisdom and the way they just conduct their lives and you just, yep, note taken. That's, I'm gonna, all right, I'm going to apply that one. And again, just the value of being able to realize there is no attaining to the fullness of wisdom. Notice he says, even the wise and the understanding can attain more understanding and wisdom through wise counsel to be able, verse 6, to understand a proverb and an enigma. That's that term that means a difficult riddle. And we'll see some of these proverbs are like that. They're like sometimes little difficult riddles. You got to think through them. They have a thought-provoking idea, but you got to kind of slow down to grasp maybe what he's saying and look a little deeper sometimes, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, verse 7 gives to us here, really, you might say the theme of the book of Proverbs or the foundation of the book of Proverbs and where really all true wisdom comes from. Notice the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge, the origin, the starting place of really becoming a knowledgeable person. But fools, the contrast to the wise, fools, they despise wisdom and instruction. So here the Bible tells us the place to start, the wisest individual is the one who begins with this. They have a healthy fear of the Lord. They live their life well because they have a reverential awe towards God. You know, and oftentimes when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we want to make sure people understand, look, we're not talking about fear in the sense of terror, being terrified by God, but a reverential awe of God or a respect of God. Let me say in connection to that, I, I understand what we're saying when we convey that, but by the same token, we don't ever want to water down what the fear of God truly is because whenever anyone encounters God in the scripture, have you ever noticed it's a pretty powerful response? They're terrified because God's that awesome, right? When John sees the glorified Jesus in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, it says John falls down and, and he's terrified. Jesus puts his hand on him and says, don't be afraid. When Daniel has a revelation of God, he's shaking like a dead person. It's like life. And again, we never want to diminish that we should have a, a healthy dread of God. I think in, in any sense of you know, any healthy parent-child, father-son, you know, father-daughter relationship, you want your child both to respect you, but to a degree also to fear you. But that's in a healthy way, right? Kind of keeps them in, in healthy balance. There's a sense of dread. I don't want to cross my father. I, don't, I, you know, I know he loves me, and, but I, I, also, I don't want to cross him. And that kind of keeps the relationship and keeps the, 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 the place of the relationship where it's supposed to be. And again, we want to have a healthy fear of God. We should be terrified to disobey God. Perhaps in some ways, if more of us as God's people were terrified to disobey God, maybe we'd walk a little more in the spirit and not so casually in the flesh sometimes. And we wouldn't be sometimes so cavalier and so quick to disrespect God and to behave outside of the clear instructions of Scripture or do things kind of just abusing the grace of God once in a while if we had a little healthier fear of God. So he says, do you want to, you want to get a basis for living wise? If you can't remember anything else, he says... It begins with this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He's going to say later on, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding in a complementary way. So wisdom begins with having a healthy respect and a fear of God. And he says, in contrast to that, those who are fools, what did we read in our study in the book of Psalms? He said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. If you look at the Hebrew, it literally is the fool, the person who's foolish, says no God. The idea is, it's impossible, you can try, you have to suppress the truth to not say the existence of God is real. 
Because there's so many testimonies in the conscience and creation and the Spirit's ministry that God exists, but people suppress the truth. They, they, they push it down and they suppress it. But the fool is the one who says, no, God, I won't admit you're real because then I don't want to be accountable to you. I won't let you be in control of my life because I want to do what I want to do in my life. And he says, it's the fool who says no to God like that, who shuts God out of their life, who refuses God's authority. And here he says, the fool, in contrast to the wise man who fears God and becomes more knowledgeable how to live life well, the fool is the one, notice, who despises wisdom. They act like it's unimportant. They dismiss it. They're disgusted by the need for it and instruction. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm educated. I'm highly educated. I don't need the archaic truths of the Bible. You know, and they always talk with that weird Harvard accent, act like they're smarter somehow. I don't know if that makes you sound smarter, but and that's kind of the idea. And God says, that person's a fool. They're, they're a fool. They're, 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 they're suppressing the very truth and what God wants to give to them, how to live their life well. Now, as he goes into verse 8, notice here we get the first parental chat, and we'll see a lot of these in the book of Proverbs. He says here, my son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. The picture there in verse 9 is something that beautifies ornaments of of beauty, a graceful ornament around your head, chains around your neck, they were used to enhance your beauty. So what's he saying here? Verse 9, he's saying that there is a way whereby a younger person can enhance the beauty of their life so they don't end up living an ugly life. They don't end up being someone who, you know, we've all, you know, met and seen different individuals. Sometimes you'll see someone and, and, and you think, man, and, and perhaps they look way older than what they really are. Their life just has the countenance. I'm not saying physical beauty in the sense of attractiveness, cute, handsome, pretty, but, but just you look at their life and it's just become an ugly mess because they just live foolishly. And in a sense, they, they've caused their life to become a very ugly life and they've become a very ugly person. And God's saying here, from the earliest days, here's a way to enhance beauty in your life. Do you want to have a really beautiful, attractive life? Well, look where it begins with. He says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and don't forsake the law, the governing guidance, boundaries, principles of your mother. In other words, listen to parental instruction. God says, this is so important, again, which shows us, and we'll see this all throughout the book of Proverbs, there will be many parental insights and instructions of both the responsibility of the parent to take serious, guiding their children, instructing their children, giving their children boundaries and direction, and notice, instruction of your father. Kind of implies to me that dads are supposed to be involved, not just spanking and yelling and making money. But actually doing something is my job to instruct my children. It is, I am called to give instruction to my children how to live well, how to live right, how to come to know God, how to make decisions, how to become responsible, moral, fruitful, effective human beings that will be a blessing in the world and not a burden in the world. And instruction involves teaching and training an ongoing continual investment, which means the father's got to be engaged. You got to be engaged constantly, continually. You got to be committed to the process because your calling is not just to be a disciplinarian, it's to be an instructor. And the mother giving the, again, the, the, the guiding principles perhaps of some of the boundaries and the governing principles of the life, again, providing that complementary assistance. And he says, my son, my son, listen to your mom and dad. He said, listen to them. They, they, they got a generation on you. You may not think that they know much, and you may think that you know more, but they got a generation on you. They've lived a few more years. Listen to them. It will value and bring benefit to your life. It will give you a more beautiful life and protect you from making an ugly mess of your life. And again, this valuable thing of certainly the responsibility of the parent that we recognize our role our governing authority, our instruction in our children's life, 
but also to realize that the, the benefit and the wisdom of a young person is to listen to that parental role within their lives, to take advantage of that, to submit to it, to, to realize the importance of that. And he's going to talk about this in a great, great deal. And we're going to notice, we're going to see this concept repeated all throughout the book of Proverbs, not just in parental uh, you know, lessons and little nuggets later on, but he's going to continue to say, my son, my son, my son, like a, like a, a parent speaking to their child like a father figure speaking to a son, whether in a natural sense or just someone older communicating to someone younger, which is a very important principle spiritually because it may not be the biological parent-child relationship, but there are father figures. There, there are older individuals, and this is the idea here. Hey, somebody's older than you. They're like a, a parent, like a mother, like a father. Learn from them. Take advantage of their wisdom. Listen to their instruction and their guidance. Let them provide direction to you and, and take that as a great, valuable thing to develop wisdom. Again, we see this exhortation from God, both of the young to learn from those older. That's a wise thing to do in humility. And it's a well, I think, a good reminder that as those of us who are older than any generation below us, we should take serious our calling to speak into the lives of those younger than us and say, my son, my daughter, let me instruct you on in what you're doing here and, and, and taking an intentional approach to want to disciple and mentor and pass on wisdom from all of our experiences, some of them good, right? And some of them kind of bad. And maybe we can spare them with the correspondence course. Look, see this, Scar? You don't need this one. You don't need this one. Let me tell you how I got this one so that you don't have to get the same one and that we would pass that on to them with a heart for the younger generation. He says, verse 9, my son, notice now, there's that same statement, if sinners entice you, those who want to do what's wrong, and they're tempting you, they're baiting you, they're enticing you, trying to draw you in, do not consent. Well, that's a wise answer, right? <laughs> Somebody's enticing me, they're tempting me to do wrong things. Just don't consent. Exercise your free will. Say no. Come on, man, everybody's going to the party. No. Come on, everybody's smoking the joint. No. Come on, everybody's drinking. No. Don't consent. Consent means you give your cooperative yielding of your will to say, I'll consent in that. Come on, I love you. If you love me, sleep with me. No. You just don't consent. You, you stand your ground. You hold to your moral convictions. If sinners entice you, don't consent. That, that's just wisdom. If they say to you, and then he creates a scenario here. If they say, come with us. Come on, join in with us. Let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly. Now notice words here, secretly. There's a real key of when something foolish is going on. Whenever something has to be done secretly, it's usually not wise. Whenever something has to be done in a sneaky way or a secretive way, that's a real key, something foolish. Something unwise is going on. Pay attention to that. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Come, cast in your lot among us. Join us. Let us all have one purse. We can really come away with a great financial gain by robbing and harming these people that they're plotting to attack somehow. So again, take notice. If I were to use verse 10 down through verse 14 and put it into a two-word modern phrase that we know, I would use this one, peer pressure. I mean, it's basically what he's talking about here. The foolishness of giving to peer pressure. Peer pressure is pressure from our peers to do that which is trendy, or cool, or everyone else in the crowd is doing, but usually not right. That's why we all dressed goofy ways at times when we were growing up, right? <laughs> because of peer pressure. And, and, and peer pressure makes us do everything from follow the trends of dress, to behavior, to everything else, to even getting about, hey, everybody else is, and we're all going to, and come on, hey, and, and, and you feel the pressure from your peers 
to do what they're doing. But a lot of times it's pressure to do something that's wrong. I mean, what the pressure is here, and this is indications and characteristics of foolishness, hey, let's go do something really selfish to shed blood and to harm and to hurt other people, but, but we'll get something good out of it. And, and it's foolish whenever we're behaving selfishly like that and we're looking for ways, in a sense, to enrich ourselves without having to responsibly work to get what we really want. Hey, let's just go rob somebody. It almost sounds like here you can read verses you know, 10 down through verse 18 or 19, and it's almost like an invitation to join a gang in the inner city. Hey, come on. Join with us. We're going to go and do this and that. And yeah, we may have to shed some blood, but boy, man, we're, we're going to... We're going to get some real, this is going to be a good deal, and we're going to score, and it's that pressure. Join in with us. Yes, what we're going to do is selfish, and it's going to harm people, but, man, we're going to get something beneficial. We're going to get a, a good financial return. Cast in your lot. We'll have one purse. He says, verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Notice, there's our third time, the, the older, wiser generation, the father figure speaking, my son, my younger man, don't walk with them. Keep your foot from their path. What's he saying? Pay attention to who you're hanging out with. Choose your friends wisely. That's wise. Make good relationships. If people are going in a direction that you shouldn't be going, let them keep walking that way, but get off the path. Use wisdom. Get off the path if they're going down a wrong path. Don't walk in that way. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet, notice, 16, run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Again, there's another indication we'll see in Proverbs of foolishness, hasty actions, quick decisions, without thinking things through, just impulsively with haste and impulse doing something. That's a real easy way to get ourselves off track. He says their, their feet are running towards evil. They're making haste to go shed blood, but they're not thinking about, oh my, what's the consequence of shedding blood? What's the end result of that? You know, the six years I served as a police chaplain when we were pastoring back at Calvary Chapel of York, numerous times with many different officers, I would have police officers say to me again and again that I am more terrified dealing with a teenager with a gun than dealing with an adult. Because there's something in an adult brain, there's just a little bit more thought process to if I pull this trigger and shed blood, what's the outcome of that? But a young person and their immaturity and their hasty impulsiveness doesn't take into consideration, oh my goodness, what might that mean 10 minutes from now, an hour from now, a year from now? And so he says, be careful of that hasty thinking. It's not wise. He says, verse 17, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Again, the idea there is, is even a bird. We talk about bird brain for people who aren't too smart, right? He says, in vain, if you spread a net, a trap, right in the sight of a bird, you think a bird's going to go, hey, Bob, let's fly through that. No, he's going to fly around it. So again, the idea is a bird, even with its little tiny bird brain, can realize that's a trap. If I do that, I'm going to get ensnared. I'm not going to do that. That's a trap. So he's saying, look, be wise. If you can look at something and see you're going to get ensnared if you do that, don't do it. If you can look at something and say, hey, if I participate in that, I'm going to get entrapped and be harmed and hurt and maybe bring ruin to my life, then he's saying, stay away from that kind of stuff. Don't walk right into a trap. Even a bird, he says, realizes a trap and a, a, a net is spread in vain for a bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly, there's that term again, secretly for their own lives Verse 19, so are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Notice, the one who is greedy for gain, the one who is driven for riches. He says, the person who is driven by wealth and greed for greater riches ends up taking away the value of their own life. They end up ruining their own lives. And boy, we have... Seen that happen repetitiously so many times, have we not, especially here in our American culture? First Timothy chapter 6 in the New Testament speaks about that reality of those who have a love for money and how they pierce themselves through with many sorrows and deep regrets. And here he says, those who are greedy for gain can start to behave very foolishly and literally it can, it can ruin their lives. They end up owning a lot of wealth, 
But the worst part is though they have a huge bank account, they also have a debt of sadness, misery, regrets, and emptiness and problems, though they have a vast amount of revenue. So again, the balance here of viewing money properly and, and not overly chasing after it in greed for gain. Verse 20, he then kind of personifies wisdom through the remainder of the chapter. And he'll do this going forward. We'll see next time where he kind of uses wisdom and he kind of personifies like wisdom speaking now. He says, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. Notice, why is wisdom speaking? Because it's inviting people into relationship. And he pictures here wisdom like a woman inviting the person to embrace her, to enter into relationship. You know, to me, that's very interesting that wisdom is personified here as a woman. When you go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that God created Eve and brought her to Adam. And, and why did God say create Eve? And he says God brought Eve to Adam, and she was to be a helper comparable to him. She was to bring help to complete him as a person. And wisdom, personified in this feminine picture here, is something to be a helper to complete us as a person, that we would live well and live right. So wisdom's speaking forth, please embrace me. Enter into a relationship. Don't reject relationship with me because you'll do foolish and harmful things. Notice wisdom speaking, verse 22. You can almost hear the voice of God, of course, behind this, but this is wisdom speaking to all of us in humanity. How long, you simple ones, will you love your simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. They don't want to learn. A mark of foolishness, a person who's no longer teachable and they have no interest in learning. He says, verse 23, or she, wisdom speaking, turn aside at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you and make my words known to you. So wisdom sometimes will rebuke us. Wisdom will challenge us. Hey, what are you doing? That's foolish. Why would you want to make that decision? That's not very wise. You're not using prudence. You're not thinking ahead. So wisdom at times will rebuke and challenge our wrong thinking. And he says, if you'll turn at my rebuke when I tell you you're being foolish, wisdom's promise, I'll pour out my spirit on you. That is a spirit of wisdom. If you'll listen, he says, I'll, uh, she says, I'll pour out my spirit upon you because I've called, verse 24, but you refused. I've stretched out my hand, no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel. So notice, wisdom says, I tried to give you counsel. I tried to offer you. I extended counsel to you, wisdom says, but you rejected it. You, you pushed it away. You pushed it aside. You disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. You didn't want to hear wise words. God brings wise counsel so many times into our lives to protect us from foolishness, but at times we can be guilty in our stubbornness, in our pride, in our selfish drives for just doing what we want to do, we're wanting to stay, that, that we just, we reject wise counsel and we press forward in our foolishness. Notice he says, verse 26 here, God by his spirit, again, conveying wisdom's voice to us. Wisdom says, verse 26, she says, I will laugh at your calamity. And the idea there is the calamity that comes from foolishness that when counsel is refused and wisdom is disdained and brushed aside, it brings calamity. And wisdom says, I, I'm mocking at your calamity because you didn't have to bring calamity upon yourself. If you would have navigated this wisely, you could have avoided the calamity and you could have avoided the terror. When your terror comes, verse 27, like a storm, and isn't that what happens when we reject wisdom? We... we Self-inflicted storms like Jonah. We bring storms into our lives and, and we live foolishly and we wonder, Lord, why is my life so stormy? Why, why is there destruction and havoc? He says, verse 27, your destruction comes like a whirlwind and your distress and anguish come upon you. So notice, when we reject wisdom and we live foolishly, look at the end result. Our life becomes like a storm. We bring destruction we bring the whirlwind, we bring distress into our lives. I don't need extra stress. I certainly don't want to be in distress. 
but sometimes we bring distress upon ourselves and anguish, regret, sorrow, and misery. Why? We live foolishly and we refuse wisdom. And God wants to spare us from that. Wisdom wants to help us avoid those things. But when we reject those things and we bring destruction and terror and storms and anguish and distress... Notice, then wisdom at that point says, well, what do you want me to do? I, I, you brought that upon yourself now. I can't just magically get you out of that now that you brought those consequences. Verse 28, then they will call on me. This is the voice of wisdom. Oh, please, I need some wisdom now. I, I've made a mess. I acted foolishly, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge. And didn't choose the fear of the Lord. Notice, didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They persisted instead in rebellion to God. They would have none of my counsel. He says, I, I, I wanted to counsel them. I wanted to teach them in the right way, how to do things properly. They despised my every rebuke. And here's the sad consequence of when I've lived foolishly and when we all from time to time live foolishly. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and complacency of fools will destroy them. Notice, God's very clear in regards to the word of God of the principle of sowing and reaping, and the wise person realizes that reality, and the foolish person neglects that. The foolish person thinks, I can behave this way and there's no consequence to it. I can live this way and nothing is going to happen. I can continue to rebel in this manner or do things the wrong way and there's not going to be challenges, problems, or difficulties and wisdom is, is, is pleading saying, what are you doing? Why are you wrecking your own life? Why, why are you doing You're going to bring pain and regret and problems. Notice he says here, the fool who rejects wisdom eats the fruit of their own way because they plant seeds of foolishness, and then they reap the consequences of a foolish way of living. We're going to see in Proverbs chapter 14, he's going to say, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. And I'll tell you something. This is the wisdom of God in connection to our foolishness, because consequences are the greatest teachers in the world. They are. They are the greatest teachers in the world, uh, you know, I used to, with my wife on occasion, because she, you know, she was the ultra super caring one, and, and, and at times you know, she, her heart would feel so, and I would say, look, this is called reality discipline. Just, just let the reality of their wrongdoing play out in their life, because consequences are the greatest teachers in the world. I can hear, Dad, stop lecturing me about that. And sometimes I can stop lecturing, and you just let consequences speak for themselves, amazing the teachers they are when we're filled with our own ways and god says okay you want your way wisdom says you you want your foolish way i don't want you to but if that's what it takes to educate you that's what it takes to teach you to get you wise even bad experiences help us increase in wisdom right and they make us more wise people look how he concludes the chapter he says but whoever listens to me that is listens to wisdom will dwell safely and be secure without fear of evil. See, the benefit of listening to wisdom, to receiving wisdom, it brings safety and stability and security in life. Who does not want a little bit of that? <laughs> Give me a stable, safe, secure life without always fearing what's going to fall apart next. Man, the great benefit of wisdom, and you are one chapter there. Let's stand together.